All right, you're um, you're on Radio One. This is our Jean-Paul Sartre Experience special, and um, it's almost eight o'clock, which means that it's time that we're going to have an interview with Dave Yetton of the JPS Experience. Um, hello, are you there, Dave? Yes, I am. Excellent. Oh, it works. The system works. <laughs> this is brilliant. Um, welcome along. This is our Jean-Paul Sartre Experience special on Radio One. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> no worries. Thanks for um, agreeing to do this. <laughs> all, all the way from Auckland. Yeah, I know. It's much harder when it's from such a long way away. Have you um, had dinner yet? Uh, yeah, I have actually. I have. Um, what you have? I, I, I actually had Vietnamese for dinner tonight. Nice. Vietnamese food, not Vietnamese people. <laughs> I'd assume that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just a bit of humour there. <laughs> Start off with some humour just to do some breaking of the ice. Yeah, that's right. You know, I was just thinking today, um, my first Radio 1 interview I did with you was with the entire band. Um, not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe. And you guys were um, really offended because... I had written an article for Critic Magazine a few months earlier, and you're all really pissed off with me. Were we? You totally were. Oh, really? What did you What did you written? I said that you were all really nice. <laughs> oh! <laughs> in a sort of a derogatory way, like we're all sort no, of in a genuine, gen- genuine. Like I got to speak to my favourite band, and they were really nice. And we didn't like that. No, really. you didn't like that because um, this whole interview, we recorded it outside Radio 1 on a dictaphone. <laughs> and um, the whole time, every question I asked, the answer said, well, we're very nice. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Hey, um, if you hear weird noises, it's because I've, I've, my cat has just arrived and is lying on my chest as I, as I lie on the couch. On the phone, it's so. probably good you explained that. You hear you know, snorting kind of noises and purring and strange things. It's not me. Of course it's not. <laughs> it's the me. cat. It's the cat. You always blame the cat. If you don't, yeah, if you don't have a dog. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, yeah, well, there you go, Sash. I mean, we were, we were, you know, I don't know what we were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming you were a band. We were young. <laughs> right. Um, the the JPS experience, like it started out as the Jean Paul Sartre experience, like yeah. quite a a long uh, name, I would say. It's and it, I think I read somewhere that it was supposed to be as, as pretentious as it could be, you know, like the most pretentious name you could think of. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was absolutely intended as a joke. We <laughs> thought it, we thought it was hilarious, uh, and then over time, um, you know, sort of had all kinds of different reactions to it from different people. Some people took it very seriously really? and sort of analysed our you know, our lyrics um, sort of with an existential sort of from an existential viewpoint and you know, other people sort of got the gag and realised we were just being silly and so yeah, it, it sort of, it certainly um, you know it, it brought out a reaction in people that's for sure. I was kind of curious as to whether you know, the the name kind of changed. It was shortened to JPS Experience and JPSE later on on album and single covers and whatnot. How deliberate was that? To, was it because you're trying to avoid that association with the seriousness? Of oh, we just got we actually just got really sick of um, of it being endlessly kind of mis- misspelt and 
and really and, long. And really long. It's kind know, of like so what singing. band are you in? And and you know, usually it was someone like your aunt or someone like you know <laughs> your kind of grandmother, and and they didn't. You know, they had never heard of the band, obviously, and so to get it over and done with quickly was a lot less painful than so you'd say it, cause a long, drawn-out embarrassment as they as they looked kind of vacant and you know. Like, and said A, and you had to say it again and fold. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. what? And yeah, so and there was that, and then there was also the fact that we were playing. We began to playing Australia, and the various blackboards outside the pubs that we'd play at would all have a bash at spelling the Jean-Paul Sartre experience and it, it was kind of funny um, but we realised too at that point that it wasn't it wasn't particularly user friendly because we got all sorts of kind of, the best one I think was um, the gene so it was G-E-N-E P-O-O-L the gene Paul gene Paul Sartre S-A-T-O-Y experience. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That yeah. is awesome. That is like the best name. I know. Someone's going to steal that as a band name now. Yeah. yeah, it would be. It'd be good. Man, someone should steal that. I mean, I, I kind of thought um, that it maybe went in conjunction with the growth of the band being maybe it was less serious in the beginning, like just reading the liner notes for the box set. It seemed that it was um, it was a thing to do, you know. Um, whereas later on, it became more like uh, something that had pressure. Was it? You know, there was expectations. And um, oh, in terms of, oh, oh, so you mean like not just in terms of the name or anything? You mean yeah, the, band. the the career? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, there were, but you know, they were our own. That was our own doing. It wasn't like we had it foisted upon us. You know, we chose mm. to move. Um, down a certain sort of path with it all, you know, uh, and signed, you know, larger record deals with when Flying Nun got bigger and and got Mushroom Records involved. You know, we we wanted we wanted to do that. We wanted to sort of expand our, you know, horizons or whatever. I mean, you know, rightly or wrongly, looking back, obviously there was there was things gained from that and also things lost. But yeah, it wasn't like we were sort of forced to do anything against our will really right right so it was a natural progression yeah it was i mean we we, we, we screwed things up along the way at times <laughs> as well as you do um as you do but yeah it was always sort of at our own um sort of bidding you know right right yeah um the beginnings of the band uh were, were quite loose weren't they like reading the the liner notes it seems like it was yeah just a bunch of friends yeah, it was. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and and I mean, um, you know, like the liner notes say, at, at times it, it involved an enormous number of people. And we didn't actually have a proper name at that point, but but you know, the the, the sort of could have been anything up to seven or eight of us all with guitars and sort of one drummer and maybe a bass guitar or a couple of bass guitars or whatever, just just making a racket. And um, and then finally, it sort of ended up more by attrition than anything else coming down to sort of a, a core few, you know um, and yeah, we didn't take it very seriously at all uh, it, it, we we really enjoyed it we, 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 had, we loved it, but in terms of it was never um, only, it was only later on that we ever thought that it was possibly something that we could do as some kind of uh, full-time gig, you know, like a, a career and that word wasn't even really 
associated with music, playing music at that time in New Zealand, but it sort of became a possibility, and then we thought, yeah, that would be fun to do all the time. <laughs> so when you started out, how organic was the, the whole thing with having the multiple songwriters and that falling into place? Was it a deliberate decision? No, that's just it. Just that was just how it happened. I mean, we, Dave Mulcahy and I, first kind of you know got together at, at high school and started doing um, just writing songs. This is what we did, and so we you know David write a song and I'd play you know guitar on it and do some singing and vice versa. And then we met up with um, Gary Sullivan, our drummer, um, who wasn't a songwriter but was you know every bit as much of a creative force in the band as, as the songwriters were and then um, Jim Lang got involved and you know, we, we sort of really liked Jim's songwriting he was in another band at, at the time that we would play with in Christchurch a band called Nicotine and we really liked his songwriting and sort of you know the cut of his jib basically <laughs> and kind of said well you know why don't you join forces with us and so there was always a kind of um, uh, just a real enjoyment of, of each other's songs, you know. We were kind of, in a way, there was differences between us, but we were also quite similar in our in our taste and, and sort of the way we would execute, um, you know, our, our sort of songs. And so we it just it did fit very naturally, and it was an extension of our friendship. It, it was never a sort of a case of, you know, guitarist wanted for... Band. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> not another songwriter. Store, you know. I think that just really shows in the band, though. I think that's what makes, um, or one of the things that makes a band so special, you know, especially in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, subsequently I've, I've met and spent time with all kinds of different bands, and the dynamics in them all are, are different. But mm. ours was definitely born out of friendship and um, shared shared sort of taste, you know, and defend, had kind of having fun together. I mean, obviously, as time wore on, it, 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 that changed, I guess, because, you know, it's hard to be cooped up with three other guys, sort of virtually 24-7. Um, but certainly at the start, it was, it was just, you know, we all lived in the same house, basically. We kind of, you know, it, it was very much, we just were in each other's pockets, yeah. So how does um, Box Set come about? Uh, that came about because there was a chap um, who... The, the label that's come out on is Fire Records, which is uh, originally a UK label, and um, they have a, uh, an office now in America as well. And a chap called John Foster um, got in touch with me. He, he found my website that I had set up for my solo record um, and he just sort of you know out of the blue this email arrived to my website saying I'm John Foster I work for Fire Records and I have always been absolutely obsessed with your album The Size of Food and I would love to see it um, he sounds re like me re-released <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and at first I mean at that stage I didn't I didn't know anything about Fire Records or you know just who the, who the hell they were or whatever. But anyway, I did some kind of, you know, research on, on Fire Records and found out that it was a, you know, it was a bona fide label and and they had certainly... Um, this per per particular person, John Foster, was absolutely rabid 
about the record, and and you know that that counts for a huge amount. I mean, having having sort of been through um, a few record deals and worked with different staff at different record companies, etc. I mean, having someone with a genuine love of your music is the best thing you can hope for. It must be yeah. amazing. What's that? It's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 just it's what you want and what you need and and it was sort of you know here it was offered to us on a plate and so we just had to agree as a band to do it and that was something that I mean, all of us felt you know pretty unanimous that if this guy was you know crazy enough to want to do it we couldn't quite you know believe that he wanted to do it it seemed so sort of out of left field but if he was keen to do it we certainly would wouldn't stop him and so we approached Flying Nun, and there was a bit of toing and froing there, uh, just in terms of um, where the the kind of boundaries lay with territory and all that kind of stuff. But essentially, after many years of toing and froing, they got the go-ahead to do a a box set, and so they've released that everywhere around the world, except actually officially in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, what's with that? Well, I think, I mean, you know, Flying Nun still would like to do a re-release of JPS. And are they going to? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, obviously there's a, there's a huge number of bands, in, you know, waiting in line to have their records re-released, and mm. it quite likely JPS will be a while coming if and i think maybe one day it will happen but i wouldn't i don't want to hold my breath and in the meantime it felt like a great idea to just go ahead and have this madman from fire records <laughs> kind of fill his boots you know <laughs> it's so fa- fabulous i haven't heard of that happening for any other band like that especially like every song that you've kind of yeah done. well it's i mean amazing. the funny thing about that was that you know he he kind of, I mean, it was, it was the size of food that he's always been obsessed with, but then the opportunity was sort of almost kind of mistakenly given for him to do the entire <laughs> catalogue. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, he kind of went, oh, yeah, right, well, I suppose we will then, okay. <laughs> so, you know, that's why the whole, the whole shebang's there, <laughs> which is great for me, you know, because um, I'm one of those people who has, you know, not been very diligent with keeping copies of singles that we've done or any of our back catalogues. So. You, you should see Dave's horrified look on his face. It's very common, Dave. No. Lots of musicians do that. Don't, they lose their own records. Don't do that. Happens. No, I know. It's bad. I mean, I, I really regret it now, but, you know, I, yeah, I've just let them all kind of fall through my fingers. And so to have them all here is really is great. You know, it's got like everything ever that we've done, and um, <laughs> it's it's really cool to have it, to finally have it all in the house again. You know. And is there you know a real thing like wow, look what we did? Um, I I did get pissed the other night with the kids here <laughs> and made them listen to it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> They were really keen for about the first kind of 20 to 30 minutes. And then, <laughs> then they drifted off and I just stayed lying on the couch, you know, sort of dribbling into my, you know, <laughs> glass of wine. Um, but, no, it is, it's cool. Um, you know, it, it is, um, it's fun looking back through it, yeah. And, it, and it's long ago, long ago enough now, I think, to not feel too attached to it, you know. Like, so the embarrassing moments 
don't feel quite so excruciating as they used to, <laughs> you know, and I can be a little bit more objective about it and sort of go, oh, it. well, we were, a, we were dicks then, didn't we? Well, you know, that, <laughs> was a, that was a real shitter, but then, hey, look, there's this really cool song that I've forgotten about, you know. So, so you can enjoy it now. Yeah, I can. Was there, when you were listening the other night, was there any particular song that popped out where you were like, wow. I wrote well, there's one, there's one <laughs> song in particular that I was really curious about because I, I remember it goes right back to the very beginning and it and it's this stupid, stupid song that I did once called Fatness, and it was the sort of thing that I'd never be able to repeat. But I just happened to have my little recording Walkman going at the time I did it. So, and and it, I just remember it always. It was totally kooky, not like anything else that we ever did again or were doing at the time and I've it always stuck in my mind because I remember Gary Sullivan really liked it he thought it was just so stupid and retarded (laughs) that that it sort of had a a real soft spot for it and I've always always been curious about it but of course I haven't had it because it it came out on our first ever release which was this um, cassette tape uh, which we put out in the dog food tin we did like something like 25 copies and Took them around the record shop. That's a whole right. other question. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about that. Eh? I was like, how, why, what? You know, like the, that's the first I'd actually heard of it was when the box set came out that you'd put out a tape for one, yeah. and that it was um, packaged in a dog food tin. Well, it, that all been washed. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was um it was recycling back in you know back in the back in the old days. Because no, we actually, a lot of us, owned, I did anyway, I, I, in fact, myself and Gary both had really large German Shepherd dogs, and um, we went through a lot of dog food, and so we'd end up with piles and piles of these empty dog food tins, and they fitted a, a kind of a, a cassette tape perfectly, so we bought some little plastic uh, lids for them. <laughs> Dave Mulcahy did some artwork, and we, we kind of, you know glued that on the outside of the tins and then took them around the record shops. <clears throat> oh man, that's awesome. That's real lo-fi do-it-yourself style um, way back then. Eh? I'm, with yeah. conscience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that's how you came into contact with Roger Shepard. He, was, he had a record shop at the time, didn't he? Or well, did yeah, he? He may, I mean, he may have. I don't, I've never asked Roger if he heard the dog food tin um songs or not but it, but it, we definitely would have taken them into his record store for sure but we didn't know him then right um and but there's no doubt because you know he had there was kind of roger's record store and then maybe two or three others that were the really key kind of um you know record geek type <laughs> of record shops uh and so we would have definitely taken them around those shops so yeah roger may have heard it or he'd heard us through through that hmm I was wondering because you you guys originated in Christchurch, um, yeah, and it was was it the early eighties or mid eighties? Um, More like mid, really. Mid, um, right? Yeah, I mean we we kind of like that dog food tin uh, that came out in eighty five, I think it was, and then we came, our EP came out on in eighty six, the end of eighty six, right? Yeah. What was um, Christchurch like? for the music scene, you know, um, who were your contemporaries? Um, it was it was pretty vibrant, actually. Uh, there was a lot of... Well, because, I mean, at that point, 
Although the Dunedin sort of flying nun bands were getting more uh, attention, I suppose, there was also really quite a strong contingent of Christchurch flying nun bands like... Um, Oh, people like Victor, the Victor Demisk Band, and oh, yeah. Builders, and um, Pin Group, and um, oh, all kind, you know, all kinds of uh, all kinds of bands. And so there was Scorched Earth Policy, the mm-hmm. Axemen, um, yeah, lots. So you know, it was pretty vibrant, and um, we we were going out and listening to a lot of music. Um, we were we were going to see those early. Uh, flying Nun bands, you know, the, um, I mean, the Clean was a little bit before our time, but um, we did, I remember seeing them at the, um, you know, at Canterbury University once. Um, I remember a very memorable gig uh, going to see the Birdness Roys when they played with the Chills uh, at the Gladstone Hotel. That was, a, that was nice. an amazing gig. Um, you know things like the Gordons. That even that was a little bit before our time. I was I was one of those kids who really looked incredibly young for my age, and so I couldn't ever fake my way into you know the Gladstone or whatever. Which at that point I think you had to be twenty maybe to go. Into yeah, that must be about right. Yeah, so you know I missed out on things like the Gordons, um, but. You know, there was a lot. There was a lot going on. It was. It was pretty. And you know, because Dunedin was only down the road, there would often be um, you know bands coming up, flying nun bands coming up from Dunedin. So you know, it was. Um, yeah, it was pretty good, really. Um, I think in many ways it was probably. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it was typically, typically kind of flying nun. It was that sort of DIY kind of South Island thing, I guess. As as a bit. Being a, it was a bit different than what was going on up in the North Island. I was going to say it was more, perhaps more um, uh, creative than the South Island, but that's mm. probably not true. It's just that there wasn't an industry as such, so there wasn't even any. You know, until Roger came along, there was there was you know there was just nothing on the horizon, so it wasn't worth trying to you know shop around for a recipe <laughs> or whatever. You know, it was that was completely irrelevant. You, are, so, you do have um, one of the best stories of how a band ever got fly, signed to Flying Nun, though. So, if you'd like to tell it, Dave. Ah, that story. You yes, said story. <laughs> uh, well, we we got invited to play at the Flying Nun Christmas party, uh, and yeah, apparently Roger liked us enough to want us to put us in the, at their Christmas party, and we. Um, we dutifully went along and did did our thing. So, so how exciting was that for you to be invited? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I can't remember the the sort of moment and and whether or not it was quite how excited we were or not. I mean, I certainly, I, I you know, it felt like flying nun were the logical place for us to to be as you know in terms of a record label and. I guess, yeah, well, I, I would imagine we were probably pretty chuffed because I don't think we'd even taken ourselves seriously, t- uh, you know, to the point where we thought we might ever have someone, you know, want to put us on a label. But the other thing was, too, that, that at that point, um, it, there was no such thing as kind of signing with Flying Nun at that point. Uh, you know, there was no contract. It was just Roger saying, well, you know, would you guys... 
if you get your grant from, from the <laughs> Kiwi <Kiritu> Arts Council. <laughs> if, if you can pay for it somehow. Yeah, if you can pay for your own record <laughs> through your grant, uh, would you like to put it on our label? And, and so, yeah, of course we'd wanted to because we were fans of the, of, of the bands on the label. But, yeah, it, it certainly it wasn't like, you know, okay, you can go and put the down payment on your... Um, on your Rolls Royce or anything, it was just, it was very seat of your pants kind of stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it immediately felt like you know uh, we were amongst um, kind of like-minded uh, people and uh, bands that we you know respected. Right, I was, um, I was thinking the the three albums that you guys did, and and you know the uh, the first EP, they're, they're all quite distinct sonically from each other um the size of food was recorded at writhe wasn't it yeah yeah um and it does have a little bit of that kind of mechanized a little bit sort of sonic sort of belt of space thing to it but also clearly of the same roots as as the first album stuff um can you tell, talk about how that came about like it, it seemed like an odd combination to me the us being at Rise yeah. being an odd combination. Um, I guess at that, yeah. I mean, the we were keen to uh, move forward, or and some people wouldn't say it was forward, but you know, <laughs> I mean, to us it felt like forward in our sound. Uh, we had got to know. Uh, you know, various people around the country um, through touring, and, mm-hmm. and that seems like there's been some sort of unexpected end to the oh, interview. Oh no, we have to carry on. So, should we play Fatness because that was um, Dave's favourite weird song, and then we'll try to get him back to finish that story because that will be interesting. I think that's exactly what we'll do, righto? So this okay, is you, you do that. We'll do that. <laughs> we'll do that. This is Fatness by the Jean-Paul Sartre Experience. You there, Dave? Yeah, hi. Huzzah! Um, technical difficulties, we'll put it down to that. Um, so we were <laughs> in the midst of discussing the Jean-Paul Sartre experience and uh, recording at Rive. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I think I was talking about uh, working with Nick Rowan and us deliberately sort of choosing to work with Nick and at Rive because we knew that um, Nick, w- w- you know, he could record a distorted guitar and record it well. It's <laughs> not always an easy thing to make it sound good. So, and and a great that. drum sound too. Yeah, and yeah, exactly, and a good drum sound. You know, um, it, it's it's really yeah, it's actually a lot harder to to sort of make a big raw electric guitar sound good when it's recorded so even though it sounds great in the room um to actually capture that you know through a microphone and get it onto tape or whatever is actually quite an art and so 
that's why we worked with Nick. And also, we just, you know, we liked Nick. We got on well. He was a friend. And um, as were, you know, the, the sort of wider kind of Rise um, crew with John Halverson and Brent. And, you know, it, it, in fact, we stayed at their house when we were recording um, their record. So, you know, it was kind of, um, I guess, as against our first album and EP where we were recording in what I would call kind of like grown-ups studios, you know, people that that kind of knew knew what they were doing, uh, supposedly anyway, and, and kind of looked at us with a certain amount of disdain, uh, you know, whereas finally we got, it was like having the keys to, to Dad's car or something, going up to Rise and recording with those guys. It was like, oh, you know, we're, we're actually out there doing this, you know. So yeah, and I think um, that, yeah, definitely it was a so it was a mixture of you know our own sort of desire to have a record that sounded bigger and and more expansive and and, and you know rides and Nick's ability to kind of capture that, which it definitely did, wasn't it? I mean, it was um, it was quite different, and I'm assuming that it it did something different for you in terms of the the audience, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it made it made people cross the road to get away from us. <laughs> in surely, some cases, <laughs> sure, surely there were more people coming across the road towards you. Well, it was interesting, you know. We certainly lost a few along the way, and we gained a few, you know. Um, but as far as we were concerned, um, it just sort of felt like, you know, we we wanted to go go somewhere, move, move in a direction, um, you know, and not just going to repeat the same thing. We'd also gotten, um, my, myself and Gary Sullivan had, had got ourselves uh, samplers as well, and oh. that, that was also very controversial at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, sort of Dylan goes electric kind of stuff. It was like, oh, no, they shunned by some people because we had... Sh- samplers in the band you know we didn't use them in that kind of terrible cliched way that you know most of that kind of sampler based music um, was you know did but uh, the mere fact that we were prepared to involve them in our music was enough to yeah <laughs> some people off right. but you know it, it was a whole different thing you know I, I came back from England I, I sort of left the band for a while and went over to the UK and had my heart Sort of broken and came came back, you know, sort of uh, wiser, but but definitely a bit darker for the experience. Well, and with lots of good uh, songs as a result. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of there was a lot of anger <laughs> I needed to get out. And 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 I think you know, and the, so the whole kind of um, you know, and that coincided with Gary's desire to, you know, he'd been touring. I think, in fact, APS when I was away and they did a tour and they were touring with the Headless Chickens. I know Gary was really enjoying the kind of you know, some of the more muscular kind of uh, sounds that uh, bands like the Headless Chickens and Skeptics etc. were, you know, getting, using samplers etc. And so, you know, Gary and I when we got back together, when I came back from the UK, we really sort of both of us were really kind of fired up to to sort of move in this direction and so yeah the the, the net result was was you know that we moved quite a long way uh between <laughs> one album and the next you know well the first album and in fact Dave Mulcahy did some really cool um uh, sort of um collage artwork that um sadly hasn't made it all the way onto the box set but um he's a fantastically 
cool pieces he's done, and each collage is represents um, each album. Yeah. And the collage he's done for for the Love Songs album, the first album we did, is very sort of it's it's very Christchurch hippie, you know. It's this magic <laughs> mushrooms, and 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 everyone's got a dog, and and kind of Captain Beefheart's in there, and. Uh, you know, cac- cactus is growing, and it was like that. That was kind of you know we we were the Christchurch kind of you know hippie dog kind of people, and um, and then you know the next the next album is 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 just a lot is a lot different. It's a lot more sort of I guess not in, I wouldn't say industrial. It's not industrial, but mm. it's just it's certainly got a it's got a, a bigger sound it's got a it's got a darker edge and it's and it's a, a hell of a lot more sort of muscular you know yeah i'd certainly go along with that it's um and uh, again it was i think quite a change to the third album yeah yeah you're, you're well, yeah. well look yeah. i mean for <laughs> yeah. me i i thought um, there again you know i think the move from the size of first bleeding <laughs> star you know we we gained a few and we lost a few along the way in terms of you know people enjoying the band but um, for me now, and benefit of hindsight, I I, I would say I, I really like Bleeding Star as a record. I, I I I guess the one thing I would say though is I think we were a little too heavy-handed with the production on that one. I think it it kind of sounds very much. I mean, it's, it's of its time. Yeah. But it's almost um, the production dominates to the point where I think some of the some of the songs almost get buried beneath it, you know. But the actual songs themselves, I think, are really great, and I'm really proud of that record. You know, it was a very, um, it was a very considered record. You know, we had a lot of songs to choose from at that point. You know, we were incredibly prolific, and um, the three songwriters in the band. You know, there was always a lot of material there to choose from, and um, and we kind of really, you know, curated that record uh, and, and kept it. You know, relatively short, and a lot of people at that time were making you know seventy-minute albums and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, um, we kind of kept it short, and um, and yeah, sort of the production aside, I, 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 I for, for me, that that record really, really proud of that one. I'm proud of them all, but you know, I think that one and the first EP for me are the two that that really kind of um, resonate still. Yeah, I mean, that's the one that I came in on, and so I was like, you know, it's the one that uh, that really stands out for me, and I'm, I'm just assuming, because not having been in, aware of music really at the time when you guys were around, uh, I'm just assuming that it pretty much took you to, well, as, as far as you can go within New Zealand, um, you know, like, I'm, I assume that it did well, sales-wise, and, you know, uh, tours Yeah, well. I mean, it was sort of, it, um... I try to. Th- I mean, it was in the top ten. I remember that. Uh, it, not for long. <laughs> Blink <laughs> <laughs> and you miss it. But yeah, it definitely breached the kind of. Into, it, went, it went single figures there for a while. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, yeah, we 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 sort of um, uh, by that stage we we had become sort of relatively. Uh, well, the charts had changed, I guess, you know, to sort of incorporate more readily bands like us, you know. Mm. Um, what what was very marginal music, um, kind of, you know, 
eight years before when we began had become much more mainstream and so you know yeah there was a certain amount of commercial interest i guess in in our music and radio stations other than just student radio stations you know were beginning to play uh, bands like ourselves and you know um headless chickens the chill mm-hmm. um straight jacket fits you know there's a bunch in the bats you know there's a bunch of and and i guess you know mushroom records had come along by that stage too and, and sort of scooped up a sort of a, a handful of bands that they considered to have, you know, I think sort of some kind of, you know, commercial um, potential and um, and we were a part of that and, and were sort of actively marketing us, I guess, in a way that it had never happened before with flying on bands, you know. And um, how did that go for you? Oh, <laughs> it's... <laughs> um, it it wasn't great. <laughs> it, it, it was, um, yeah, you know. It, it, I think we all felt like we needed sort of a, a shower after after some of those you know meetings. They were kind of weird. Um, and to me, that was the sort of you know, there, like I said when, when we first started talking, you know, we 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 consciously chose to go down a certain path. You know, you can't blame anyone else but ourselves choosing to go down that path but you know it certainly wasn't um a path once we got on it that we particularly enjoyed you know yeah, it was but there, nice was a, to have, there was a real momentum that? there was a real momentum for a bunch of you bands to do it at the time so it seems like quite a natural choice i don't think you know you had to find out right well yeah because otherwise you know the other option was just sort of staying still um and yeah, we needed to find out, you know. Um, looking looking back, I think there's other ways we could have tackled it, maybe. Uh, but you know, yeah, you just at the time you've just got to do what you've got to do, and um, it felt like it felt like the right thing to do, you know. It's just it's just that that sort of commercial model, in actual fact, wasn't really very suited to you know flying none in bands in general, you know. All right. All right. I think what was what was sort of special about the band um, got a little bit lost along the way in that sort of model, you know. Hmm. So, oh, sorry, Natasha. No, no, no. Right, yeah. So the um, but the uh, one of the things that came with um, having a larger record company behind you was the ability to go overseas, and although you know what I take from the liner notes is ultimately that led to the band breaking up yeah so we want to know why you broke up <laughs> we're just running out of time for the big preamble into that question <laughs> yeah 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 uh it basically yeah we did get it we finally when I mean, we'd been you know badgering uh at roger for for years to get us overseas um and you know understandably are you there Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, um, understandably, um, he had a whole bunch of people that all wanted to go overseas, uh, <laughs> and so we, we ended up sort of, you know, having to having to wait quite a long time. Um, and we, you know, it was fantastic to finally get the opportunity to do that. Um, uh, you know, we had a, a great time on the first tour we did, which was you know us and the bats and the straight jacket fits. Um, touring the states and Europe together, um, it was 
just a little bit too late in the piece, maybe for us. I think if we'd if we'd gotten the opportunity to to uh, when the size of food came out, mm-hmm. that would have been uh, probably a really good time, creatively speaking, for the band. Whereas by the time we got overseas, after Bleeding Star had been released, there was you know we was, the cracks were starting to appear, I guess, in our sort of um, in the band in terms of our personal relationships. Um, and yeah, you know, I guess Dave Mulcahy was the was the first person to uh, pull the plug, uh, and he hadn't been particularly involved with Bleeding Star either. That that, that album, Dave was a little bit, you know, absent for. He was he'd kind of he'd lost his love for the band really, mm. and um, Jim and I kind of wrote the, the, the lion's share of the songs on, on that record. Uh, Dave kind of turned up for his songs but didn't really contribute much beyond that. Um, I mean, it's still really great songs. Um, but yeah, it's sort of he had essentially left the building, really. And so uh, there was also, and there was tension to, to come to your point, Tash. <laughs> Why did we break up? <laughs> there was quite a lot of... <laughs> There was there was a, there was quite a lot of tension between um, myself and you know I think I mean Dave Dave felt that I was um, trying to dominate the band and um, you know looking back he's probably got a point um, you know I, I sort of I was getting um, probably more attention than I was due uh, and as a band with three songwriters. Um, you know, it's sort of to have one person who is um, getting more attention than others would piss anyone off. Uh, yeah, that must have been quite it, out of your hands, though, because I actually remember because you were you're popping up everywhere on three forty five live, and you know, it was uh-huh. you being pushed out there to do all the interviews. Yeah, well, you know, it's sort of um, it, it was one of those things. I think that it, it's much easier for a band to be um, marketed, you know, when there's sort of like one person, there's the spokesperson, there's the, you know, it's it's much more typical that it's one person. And I think um, Mushroom sort of, you know, kind of looked at the band and went, okay, you know, we're looking for one, who's that one going to be? And they, you know, they decided it was going to be me. I think... um, you know, the the where things went wrong is that I probably should have said at that point, no, fuck this, you're not going to just focus on me. There's, you know, there's all, there's four of us in this band and you're just going to have to make it work. Um, but I didn't, you know, I sort of stepped up and um, that was a that was a sort of that was the beginning of the of the end really. And I think um, same process. You know, I think Jim also felt, you know. A, a, Resentful in that way as well, and totally understandably, you know. And um, I look back now and think I was a bit of an arrogant shit, you know. Um, I should have, should have kind of been more aware of it and and um, not, not let it happen. But um, you know, it's a story that I think is is quite common in bands. And mm. there's also something about, you know, <laughs> four four blokes kind of, you know. I think when you're in your sort of late teens, early 20s or whatever, hanging around in the gang is a really sort of, um, you know, it feels really right. It feels really good <laughs> to live in each other's pockets and, you know, 
steal each other's girlfriends and all that stuff. But then as as you sort of get a little older, you, you know, that being in that kind of white van together, travelling up and down the country or whatever, is just, uh, it starts to get a little less pleasurable and you start to just get, you know, to get pissed off with each other and sick of the sight of each other. And so that's why, you know, often I think, you know, bands like ours where there's a certain kind of um, it, it's born out of friendship and so if you start to feel that the friendship is really suffering because you're spending way too much time together or that you know resentment is building up then then it's a hard thing to kind of look beyond that you know mm. some bands I guess if they were formed on a more professional basis right from the get go they might sort of weather that those kind of issues a bit easier than, than we did but because we'd, we'd all started as friends to see that friendship sort of you know beginning to dissolve and and resentment sort of slide in it was a bit like watching your marriage turn to shit you know it's kind of not not a very pleasant um, thing to, to sort of bear witness to and so it was easier perhaps to just you know knock it on the head bloody hell so why, why haven't you um, reformed like all these other bands um, that's a good question. I kind of... <laughs> when uh, are you going to? Please? Uh, I, what's that? Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it when you do that plaintive voice, Tash. <laughs> so you're going to do it now, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's... I mean, we... I think for us... Um, I mean, who knows? It, it, it's you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, um, but I think. Well, see, that's hope because a few years ago you would have all said, "Oh no, if and way." So that's good. That's <laughs> yeah. good. That's that's good. Yeah, I know. I mean, I would have. That's exactly what I would have said. Yeah. You know, but that's going to show how desperate you get as you get older. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Somebody pay me some attention. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be famous. Oh, so, yeah, love it. yeah, we'll definitely be reforming, and you'll hear you'll get the press release soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so on that bombshell, I guess <laughs> we should. Um, <laughs> yeah, now JPC reform. are reforming. There you go. <laughs> um, well, um, I, I think we should. I guess we should uh, wrap it up as far as the the interview goes. I'd yeah, like to, we've, we've still got a good um, fifteen minutes to try and find a crap song. Yeah, it's not going to happen. No, I don't think it is. No, so I'm not. I'm not going to help you by guiding you to the to the real shitters. <laughs> <laughs> you have to discover those for yourself. Well, um, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, well, for doing the interview, Dave. It's um, really made the show. Well, that and, and Natasha coming along has, has really made the show uh, for me, anyway. Well, especially me coming along. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Let's, let's get let's get the sort of the real star of the show. <laughs> um, oh, look, I hope um, all you guys can can you know enjoy what this retrospective really means and what an incredible collection of songs and how lucky we are that you. Ever oh existed. yeah, it's, I mean it has been really enjoyable actually. I've, I've I have um, thoroughly enjoyed the process and um, thanks for yeah sort of. You know, taking actually bothering to buy the record, David. <laughs> Are you joking? That's quite, like, man, that's quite remarkable. Good on you. Yeah, no. When I was when it was announced, I was like, "Yep, yep, you're damn right. I'm getting that." Um, I yeah. mean, particularly. Well, you know, it's, it's actually. Um, I, mean, I know that the interview's coming to an end here, but apparently, uh, it's been remastered, and I haven't had a chance to listen to it on vinyl yet. So I'm looking forward to doing that. 
Yeah, that was one of the things that I was really looking forward to because Bleeding Star, you know, that and Hells Are Poppin' and I guess a few others were like records that I really wanted to have on vinyl. So to see one of them actually happen um, was really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, we're going we're gonna to play Cut Out now because that was one of the songs that was... I, I don't understand how this happened, but there's two different versions of uh, The Size of Food and Cut Out is one of the ones that wasn't on the New Zealand release. That's right, isn't it? The cutout, cutout, and mothers were on the uh, American release, and we strangely, bizarrely, or God knows why, decided that we didn't want them on the New Zealand release, and so we took them off. Right, which is ridiculous because they're both really good songs, especially cutout. It's an awesome song, and I don't know why we did that, but hey, bands. Yeah, <laughs> no figure. Yeah, we'll have to play both those songs now. Yeah. Okay. Shall we do that? Okay, we'll we do will. That? Yeah. All right. All right, yeah. Thanks thank, very much, Dave. Thanks, Dave okay. Eaton. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. Right, this is um, cut out by the Jean-Paul Sartre Experience, and you're on Radio 1. <laughs> 